0: Welcome to Skype a Scientist Live. I'm super happy that you're all here with us today. Today um, we are going to be talking about disaster drones uh, with Laura Hart. I'm very excited to hear about what that's all about. Um, So some housekeeping before we get into it. Um, First of all, happy Juneteenth. Today is uh, Juneteenth, which is a holiday that celebrates um, the emancipation of the, the Uh, enslaved people that were were in our country up until 1865. So um, it's actually the anniversary of when the last group of enslaved people were um, emancipated in Texas, because the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect in uh, 63, and then two years passed, uh, and then Union soldiers got to Texas. So. Um, that's what we're celebrating today. What do we have going on next week? It's Cephalopod Week next week. So Monday, we're going to be talking all about how to raise cephalopods in captivity with one of the best cephalopod uh, raisers I've ever met. And I'm a squid biologist, like I know who's good at this. And Brett Grassy is like the man when it comes to raising cephalopods, um, which are octopus, cuttlefish, and squid in captivity. And so um, we're going to be talking with Brett on Monday at 1. On uh, Tuesday, we're going to be talking with uh, Carly York. Uh, She studies uh, squid senses. So that will also be super cool. And then Friday, we're going to be talking about cuttlefish, um, which are so, so cool. um, And I'm super excited about About that. That's Friday at 1. Also, on Thursday night, we're going to be doing trivia as we always do. That's for adults. Um, And we're going to have a bunch of squid themed rounds. So if you like squid, you should come. Um, And then Friday, we're going to be doing like a a squid themed tabletop game live streamed. I admittedly don't know anything about tabletop gaming, but my squid biologist friend Casey, um, who studies ocean acidification and how that affects um, how climate change affects squid. Um, He's going to be running that with us. So we're going to learn about squid while playing games, and there will be games for the audience to play along with as well. So that's what's up on Cephalopod Week next week. Um, So I guess let's just, let's get into it. Let's talk about disaster drones. What is the deal? What does that even mean? Uh, Laura, take it away. So hey, y'all. My name is Laura
1: Hart, and I am the program coordinator, UAS program coordinator at uh, my department which is the Emergency Management and Homeland Security Department at Florida State University. So that's a lot of acronyms. Uh, So I'm going to walk you through a couple of them. So why disaster drones? And forgive me, I'm going to do like a one-minute intro just to give you guys an idea of what I do. So as far as disaster drones are concerned, um, I actually call them unmanned aircraft systems. that's the word that we use uh, in government to refer to drones. Uh, as far as what that means, uh, we use UAS because, one, it describes the whole system, so not just the drone, but also the computer you need to process stuff, and like all the other little bits and pieces that you need in order to get it done. Um, but it also uh, refers to the positive uh, implications that this kind of technology can have for humankind. So we can use these in humanitarian contexts, in disaster management. There are so many different things we can use it for. But anyway, I'm really excited to answer all of your questions. I absolutely love my job. I love that I get to help people and show them data of what stuff uh, looks like. But without any further ado, I
0: would love to answer your questions. Awesome. Okay, so what, okay, so so as we imagine it, drones are those little machines with four propellers that go up into the sky are the drones or the um, what um, do you call them again? Uncrewed? Unmanned aircraft systems. Unmanned aircraft systems. Okay, Um, so are those only in the air or are they in the air and the water as well? That's a
1: great question. So there are multiple types of uh, unmanned vehicles. So some of them are amphibious, some of them uh, some of them go underwater, some of them are uh, land rovers, like there's so many different types. The type that I deal in primarily is the aerial type. So uh, we do a lot of different types of uh, research with unmanned aircraft systems, but we primarily focus on multi-rotors. So the ones that you guys have seen uh, probably on YouTube and like all sorts of other places. And then we also fly fixed wing aircraft. So the ones that look like traditional airplanes.
0: Cool. Um, So what kind of disasters are you mitigating or like observing with these? Uh, aircraft
1: so we've uh, we've worked in a number of different disasters Um, as far as uh, disasters are concerned I I do think it's important we work in both emergencies and disasters and really the only difference between the two is that disasters supersede the capabilities of the local government Um, as far as emergencies are concerned we normally uh, work in either missing persons investigations or in any number of things, public safety, uh, situational awareness, monitoring, medevac, transport, uh, routing, all that kind of stuff. But as far as disasters are concerned, everything from hurricanes to volcanoes to really anything else, anything that uh, could potentially use uh, drones in a disaster.
0: Cool. So you're, you're based in Florida. Like, what is your area of jurisdiction, I guess? Like, what's the area that you work with?
1: So we primarily work in the state of Florida. Uh, so what that means uh, for us is that in Florida we work for the state emergency response team. So we work as tasks wherever we need to go in the state of Florida. However, uh, we also do have um, MOUs with other agencies or organizations. One of which is Crazar, or the Center for Robot Assisted Search and Rescue. So um, and they are actually located at Texas A&M. And so we uh, it just depends uh, where we. Uh, have been tasked or who, what our partner agencies are requesting.
0: Cool. Um, is there a famous case uh, where disaster drones have been used?
1: There are lots of famous cases. Um, as, far as, as far as we are concerned, uh, I do think that some of the more notable disasters that people would recognize would probably be um, the Kilauea eruption uh, in Hawaii or um, Hurricane Michael. Uh, that impacted Florida in 2018, Um, several different disasters. Um, Really every year it's kind of a different uh, challenge and this will only become more common as climate change continues to impact us.
0: Yeah, so okay, how many drones are in your fleet?
1: Oh gosh, I should know that answer off the top of my head but I think it's
0: about 20, Um, maybe more, Uh, I think more. Sounds good. So are they generally on the ground until you get a call like, hey, we need aerial surveillance of a place, or is it like there's always one kind of in the air doing its thing, and then you notice things because of that?
1: So that's an awesome question. As far as um, starting out or basically maintaining hover in the air, uh, it just depends on the mission that we've been tasked to do. So sometimes we are on like a one-minute standby kind of thing where it's like, you know, we're ready, but we aren't airborne. Um, Other times we do have that um, stuff in the air already. That way we can, you know, say like, oh, this is what we see happening and then report that back to decision makers. So it really just depends on whatever our partner agency has tasked us to do. Cool. Um, Let's see, Uh, how far can the drone travel? So the limitation in the United States is not necessarily the specific technology, but rather the regulations. Oh. So in the United States, um, we cannot fly outside of line of sight. Um, that's one of the main federal guidelines. Uh, and that's actually a really good idea because uh, we want to make sure that people fly safely and that, you know, someone isn't flying a drone where they can't see it and then potentially crashing into somebody or something. Um, so really, that's the main limitation. And that um, that really depends on the weather conditions.
0: Gotcha. Um, so, okay, our are- what's the, Chloe wants to know, what are the main things your drones do? So we do a lot of different things,
1: but I think some of the main things that we do would honestly be mapping. That's one of our biggest, uh, biggest types of missions, just because that's a really good tool that we can give to emergency managers and to decision makers who can use that for stuff like planning evacuation routes or highlighting critical infrastructure or anything else that they might be able to use it for. But I mean, that's, that's one of our missions. Another type of mission would be something like uh, we may take video of a particular area, uh, still imagery. In the past, even at uh, the Kilauea eruption, we actually used drones, and we st- we very elegantly, and by that I mean, taped them <laughs> to the aircraft, uh, put SO2 monitors on, so we could actually see oh. what the SO2 levels were over the air over the uh, volcano.
0: So there's any number of things we could do with them. Sometimes it's just you know finding the right use case. Cool, and what is SO2 and what does it have to do with um, eruptions?
1: Oh, okay, so SO2 is sulfur dioxide. It is, it's only lethal in very, very, very concentrated amounts, which is never what you wanna hear a phrase to start with. But however, it is um, really, really irritating to your lungs and throat and can cause uh, respiratory distress. So in order to make sure that uh, citizens in the area were safe and that first responders were safe, we could actually go and see what the current level was and then report back what sort of PPE people needed to be wearing. Um, so that, that was a pretty, uh, we, we had never anticipated doing that kind of thing, but it turned out to be a great idea.
0: <laughs> That's super cool. I know um, there are some whale researchers that take drones and then put a little like, plates with wells in them um, on the drone and then as the whale like spouts um, drive the drone through the mist to collect basically like snot from the whale um, to do various tests on the whales. So I feel like there are all these applications of drones uh, that are used all across science. So, um, so yeah, okay, you've used them for detecting sulfur dioxide, you've used them for getting footage of, of various disasters. Is there anything else that you've used them to collect data for?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, honestly, it's hard for me to remember uh, all the different ways that we've used it, but we can also do it, we can also use them to do certain things, right? So, we can do things, too, like uh, we can actually strap a drop mechanism to uh, an unmanned aircraft system and then drop something from it. Cool. Uh, that's potentially helpful if we have someone who's like stranded on a roof or something like that. Um, but, we can also use it to do things like train uh, scent discriminant canines uh, or any th- anything else uh, in terms of dropping something from an aircraft. Cool. So um we have a bunch of different use cases, and we're always looking for other ones
0: <laughs> Um so we've got a cool question here. So if someone wants to know um, Chloe actually do you do the drones that you use are they like the same normal normal size ones so like pizza box or smaller or because you're using them for these industrial reasons like are they even bigger in some cases?
1: That is one of my favorite questions. So we primarily fly small unmanned aircraft systems which means that our drones typically weigh less than 55 pounds. What that means for us is that uh, we actually, my department, makes a huge effort to make sure that any drones that we use are actually within the scope of uh, public safety or uh, government. So that way, any public sector uh, department who we may be able to go and train or do something with uh, is potentially able to actually purchase that type of aircraft. So we don't just use like super fancy stuff. We also use, you know, like uh, for a while we were, we actually train uh, our first semester students on $80 drones. So it really just depends on, on what we're doing. But that's a great question. Cool. Yeah, I mean, if the $80 one works, use it. Why not? That- we, awesome. we are all about the lowest price that still meets the need.
0: Perfect. Our um, would like to know, uh, what are the problems or struggles that you have when working with drones?
1: So there are a bunch of troubles <laughs> when working with drones. Um, I think the biggest thing, and this is the thing that I always teach people about at first, but the first thing that I always want to emphasize to uh, new newcomers to drones is actually safety. Um, Just because it's really, really, really easy uh, to unintentionally hurt either yourself or someone else if you aren't uh, kind of keeping an eye out on what you need to. So what that means, uh, we do do things like make sure that, you know, uh, whenever you have someone power on an aircraft and maybe someone else is holding a controller, the person holding the controller will yell uh, throttle neutral or anything else to basically confirm that they are going to be safe. Uh, In terms of other uh, risks to operations that we have seen or uh, encountered, uh, there are a number of different ones, but one of the big ones is actually, um, one of the difficult things is actually navigating in between manned and unmanned aircraft in the same airspace, especially in disaster airspace. It is possible, and it requires that everybody communicates and, again, has that attitude of safety and security, and it's really cool when they work in tandem again, that is that is a higher stress environment.
0: Whoa, that sounds intense. That's really cool. Um, Arjun would like to know uh, how exactly do drones help us in natural disasters?
1: Sure. So, okay, uh, drones are really cool in natural disasters because the weird thing is, especially in catastrophic disasters, it's often possible that there are no communications in between the area that's been impacted and the Emergency Operations Center or the EOC that is currently. Uh, undertaking that response, right? So actually, this was uh, the case in Hurricane Michael. We were able to go to Mexico Beach uh, the day uh, after uh, Hurricane Michael impacted Mexico Beach, and we were able to go and get the first footage of Mexico Beach back to the Panama City uh, EOC, it, or pardon me, the uh, Bay County EOC. But as far as that's concerned, the reason that that's really important is that for us to get that data back to the EOC, we actually had to put it on a thumb drive and drive it back to the EOC, which took two and a half hours. So the thing is, it, it's we have this amazing technology, but if we, can't, if we can't get it there, then nobody can use that information. So by showing people what it looked like, we were able to make better decisions and then stage uh, resources and things
0: accordingly. Wow. And is that, it, could you not just like email it because like the infrastructure was down because of the hurricane?
1: everything was down. And so uh, we couldn't even call each other. Uh, We were, we we joke that we were limited to shouting distance because that was really the only way to communicate. Um, So again, like we had to hand someone a USB drive and have them drive it back. That's wild. That is the most elegant solution in that environment. (laughs) That's intense. Um, Arjun wants to know, can drones hear conversations? So it depends on the drone. None of my drones can, right? So like all of our drones, like they aren't designed to do that kind of thing. Um, As far as the only drone that we have that actually has any sort of audio capability is actually the DJI Mavic 2 Enterprise Dual, which is just a really long acronym once again for (laughs) for a, a drone that we can actually record a message. Uh, on and then so like if we're like hovering near someone who we believe to be missing or something like that we could say like hey we're uh we're trying to help you know uh please follow this and we'll we'll try to like reach you as soon as we possibly can or something like that um that is the only audio audio capability that we have on our team via drone
0: cool um and Zadie, and aubrey want to know how many drones do you generally lose in a disaster
1: ah so here's Drones are definitely um, interesting in terms of aviation, right? Because we can have so many different problems. I mean, everybody has probably had an issue. If you've ever flown a drone before, even a toy drone, having it connect or having your phone connect to the drone or not saving pictures to your phone from the drone or any other problem that you could possibly have, right? Um, So what we say is two is one and one is none. So we never show up with just one of something. Um, we really anticipate that something will break, right. um, because that's good safety uh, procedure as well, right? So the second that we see something that doesn't look right, we ground that aircraft, and we check it out before we fly it. That way, we we
0: ensure that it's still uh, safe in terms of operations. Very cool. Um, Trey, age 10, and Yaya, age uh, 13, want to know, do the drones go underwater?
1: Our drones don't go underwater, but some of them do. We actually work uh, with a colleague who has a drone called Emily, and hers is really, really awesome because it's one of these amphibious ones I was talking about earlier. The cool thing is, it's actually designed to pick up uh, refugees off the coast of Greece, and it'll, uh, it'll swim around and, like, basically people can hold on to it until they come around and pick them up on a boat.
0: Wow, cool! Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Chloe wants to know, do you control the drones or do they control themselves? So
1: it depends on the mission. So a lot of the times I am flying manually because personally that's my uh, preference. But as far as automated mapping goes and all that stuff, I do fly autonomous missions. Uh, so in order to do that, we do have to like hand over control from ourselves to the aircraft. Um, so we still have to keep eyes on, uh, keep the drone within line of sight and all that stuff uh, throughout the whole thing. But sometimes I'm the one flying it, sometimes I'm the one who's programmed
0: the mission for it to fly, it just depends. Sounds good. Um, How much carrying capacity does a drone have? It depends on the aircraft, but typically
1: in between uh, roughly one and 12 pounds for the small uh, drones, somewhere around there.
0: Cool. Um, Has one of your drones or anybody else's drones ever hit a plane? No, no. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um, and that the way
1: that we're actually able to prevent that is through communication in between unmanned and manned
0: aircraft. So anybody who's in the air, we are communicating with them at all times. Oh, great. Cool. Um, when was the first drone ever used to manage a disaster?
1: I'm not sure about a disaster, but I do know that in World War I, we actually used pigeons um, for... Uh, and technically, that's an unmade aircraft system because we affixed stuff to the pigeon. And then, you know, we weren't on the pigeon when it flew over. Um, but we u- actually u- utilized that for um, intelligence and information during World War One. So that was one of the earliest use cases. But before that, we also used hot air balloons, uh, which, wow. again, not as elegant, but
0: it's, uh, it still worked. Right, totally. Um, what's the biggest drone you've ever worked with?
1: Who, um, for me, I think it would be either the DJI M six hundred or the uh there's another one called the Lynx. Uh it's a fixed wing aircraft, but it weighs probably about 40 pounds, 50 pounds. Okay. So personally I haven't flown anything that wasn't a small unmanned aircraft system, but it's really wild, like how much that takes in order to not be considered small.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's really cool. So what got you interested in this field? Like, how did you end up where you are now? So I actually always really,
1: really, really enjoyed aviation. Um, I was always really intimidated by anything to do with uh, math. Uh, I always, like, naturally gravitated towards, you know, like, reading and stuff like that. Social studies, uh, my doctorate eventually will be in public policy. Um, But I think that drones are so awesome because they are such a cool example of like STEM hardware breaking its way into government that can be so useful and affordable for us. It is so awesome. So that's really how I fell into it. I just, I always studied government and I thought that was uh, really awesome. That's awesome. Um, What is your favorite drone you've ever used and why? My favorite drone that I've ever used is the DJI Mavic Pro. And the reason it's my favorite is because it's relatively affordable, and by relatively affordable, I don't mean that I'm going to go rush out and buy one, but it's roughly $700. I have never had a problem with it not working ever in the three or four years that I've flown it. It's actually an older drone now uh, by technical standards, Um, but I just think it's a power horse. Like, it's it's just a great, reliable, awesome, like... I know it's gonna
0: work. I can pull it out of the box and it's just gonna be great. Good. So is that like something a, a person on the street could buy? Or is yeah. that like yeah, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. So um,
1: it's it's actually commercially available and it's uh I wanna say now for like the bundle and again, don't quote me on the exact number, but it's around seven hundred or seven
0: hundred dollars, I think. So cool. not cheap, but <laughs> very cool. Um so I watched Black Mirror a couple years ago and there were little like bumblebee sized drones like what's the smallest drone that you are aware of that currently exists
1: oh okay so there are tons of really 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 tiny drones um in the united states again one of the regulations is that over 0.55 ounces we have to register the aircraft so for a while there was actually uh this mini drone that came out it was roughly like this size uh and it came out and the funny thing was people said that it weighed point five four ounces and uh technically you didn't have to register it but the problem was as soon as you you, as soon as you put a light or anything else on it it obviously weighed over the limit right Um, but that is one of the most commercially available like robust ones that i've seen for uh that price yeah
0: cool um so when you're controlling the drone like how does it look like are we working with like a joystick or like something on your phone how does that work as trisha wants to know
1: Oh, that's an awesome question. So uh, for the ones that we first teach students on, they use their phone. When I fly a drone, I am using a controller. Um, But we also do have an adapted controller as well, which is super, super cool. Um, So if an individual has the use of one hand, they can still fly the aircraft. Um, So, and that's like a joystick looking uh, control. So it really just depends uh, on the aircraft and what the manufacturer recommends. Awesome. So as a scientist, what do you do in your spare time? So in my spare time, I like to play the ukulele. (laughs) And I really like
0: to read. uh, And I think those are both important. (laughs) Good. Cool. Um, Ian, Zadie, and Aubrey would like to know, uh, can you talk about a significant mission and what happened?
1: Sure. Uh, So... When I think of a significant mission, um, I think of the Kilauea eruption in Hawaii Um, around, so in order for us to, one of the other things that we figured out that we could do with unmanned aircraft in that scenario was actually track the lava flow by hour. So we were able to track the rate at which lava came from the volcano um, by basically saying at this time, uh, we've noticed that so much has happened and et cetera. But we actually went out at about three o'clock in the morning, um, because it's a little bit easier to see uh, when we use uh, different sensors. Yeah. Sensors drive our missions with UAS. So I'm actually a licensed level one thermographer, and uh, we can utilize infrared technology to uh, actually track the pyroclastic flow in a more uh uh, robust manner. So I actually remember standing outside of a volcano at three o'clock in the morning, staring at this volcano, going,
0: "What are we doing? <laughs> oh, God, that's but, that's scary because you can't see, right? Like it's dark. I don't know. That would that would frighten me. <laughs> Even if I couldn't see what was going on with the drone, um, being near lava flowing uh, would make me incredibly nervous. But that's awesome." I think, I think it made it
1: easier in that, like with the drone too, like I'm able to see what's happening. So right. if, if I didn't know,
0: it might've been more, more difficult. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that's, that's pretty uh, pretty cool. Um, all right, so let's see. How do you, um, is it even possible to fly a drone in a hurricane or do you have to like wait until the hurricane's done and then put the drones up there? So that's a really good answer, or really
1: good question. As far as what I've heard, um, I think that NOAA is currently working on a prototype to be able to uh, insert an unmanned aircraft system into a hurricane. Um, I'm not, none of ours are capable of doing that. We have to wait until the hurricane has passed and then we actually respond to the event. Um, So we aren't operating during the hurricane. But um, I think that there's a movement to kind of push that technology soon. Cool. That's awesome. Um, Arjun would like to know, uh, can a drone carry a human? Depending on the type. So some types have uh, recently come out. Uh, you guys might have seen them, especially in terms of transportation. Uh, people have kind of started to uh, move in that direction uh, in terms of research and development, but none of
0: ours can. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's see, do you, when your drones are controlling themselves, how do they know to not like smack into stuff? Like how do they know not to run into a building or whatever?
1: So this is really cool. Um, depending on the software program that I'm using, I can actually program my own flight plan. And then basically what I end up doing is uploading it to the aircraft. So basically the plan that I've set for it, it just basically carries on and does its own little thing and follows my plan. And then I basically just have the job of staring at it and making sure that it carries out uh, the plan that I've told it to.
0: Cool. So when you're, you said you have to be in eyesight of your drone. So let's say you want to like get a decent view of of a somewhere bigger than where you could just like run alongside your drone do you ever like get in the car and like have the, your passenger controlling the drone while somebody drives to keep up with it
1: that's an awesome question so this is another question that is dictated by regulations oh in the united states we cannot operate an aircraft from a moving vehicle but we oh. can operate it from a boat if it's
0: moving <laughs> i don't understand the difference of rule okay <laughs> sounds good why not um that's really funny. I So I used to work, um, after my freshman year of college, I was a bat netting technician. So I would catch bats at night. Because before you put up a wind farm, you have to make sure there's, there's no endangered bats in the area. And so we would, like, catch the bats, figure out what kind of bat they are, see if they're pregnant or not, and then let them go. And so if we caught an endangered bat, we would have to put a little tracker on it. And then three of us would each get in our cars. Our cars were like rigged up with these big like antenna looking things sticking out the top. And we did something called telemetry, which is basically like um, you take, I know you know, but I'm telling everybody else. Like you take a little like, uh, it, it looks like an antenna, like a huge antenna and you're pointing it in different directions. And as you get closer to where your tracker on the bat is, the beeps, it's like beep, beep and then become more frequent when you're going in the right direction. So it would be three of us in upstate New York in the middle of nowhere, like speeding down these country roads, trying to find the bat and like triangulating its position. Um, I don't remember how we got onto this, but it was very fun. It's really cool. And yeah, it was great. Loved it so much. It's not a job I ever, oh, because we were in a car. That's how I got out of this. So uh, yeah, we would be like, I was just thinking about that experience while I was thinking about your job. Um, so that's too bad that you can't do it from cars. What, what a rule. Okay, so the next question is, uh, what colors are drones and do you ever have to like camouflage your drones? So I don't c- camouflage my drones
1: because any any time that I am operating, I am a I work for technically the state of Florida. So uh, anything that I'm doing is completely uh, open to citizens. Like I explain to people what I'm doing. We actually have uh, VOs or visual observers uh-huh. who will stand next to the pilots and explain to them what we're doing if someone has questions. Um, so we don't camouflage our aircraft, but it can be hard to see them sometimes. Uh, specifically white aircraft against the sky are really difficult to see, but we do have some that are like a dark gray or graphite color, and then some that are uh, orange as well. Cool.
0: Um, The next question is from Ian, Zadie, and Aubrey. How do you abort an unpersoned mission if it goes wrong?
1: Awesome question.
0: So the cool thing is on a
1: lot of different controllers we can actually switch off the autopilot, and by doing that we can take manual control of the aircraft. So that's one of the reasons that I have constant eyes on the aircraft because the second that I see it do something that I haven't told it to do, I can take manual control and then bring it back.
0: Great, sounds good. Um, Are smart birds a type of drone?
1: (laughs) So as far as uh, smart birds are concerned, they're, the the pigeons in in that last example technically would be considered unmanned aircraft. Uh technically anything that you aren't operating and uh, is just autonomous. So birds, uh, animals, uh, balloons, anything that doesn't require a person to be on it would be considered an autonomous vehicle.
0: Sounds good. Um, What are the advantages and disadvantages of using drones? So some of the advantages include things
1: like, uh, it gives us a different perspective. Um, It gives us another example of disaster imagery. Um, It's just another tool that we can use to inform decision makers. Uh, Some of the disadvantages are it's just a tool, so it's not going to work for every situation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What that means for us is that uh, specifically, I've had a lot of people ask, uh, why aren't you using drones in COVID-19? And um, honestly, because it wouldn't be a whole lot of good. Because outside of monitoring people to see if they're wearing masks or socially distancing or complying with any of the other things we're supposed to be doing right now, uh, in terms of thermography, we actually would not be able to get a correct temperature reading to uh, ascertain if someone actually did have uh, COVID 19 or a fever uh, based on their forehead. Your forehead is actually the warmest part of your body on a thermographic uh, scale. and uh, we, at at the distance that we would be, need to be in order to do it safely, we would not be able to get a correct enough uh, reading.
0: Gotcha. Cool. Um, At the grocery store, I sometimes see these like pillars that are zooming around by themselves with like big googly eyes. Uh, Is that a drone or is that not a drone?
1: That sounds like a autonomous, uh, like a robot, like maybe like a robot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really don't know what those robots are doing. They're just like,
1: I don't know. I've seen one. I, now I'm jealous. Philadelphia sounds way cooler.
0: <laughs> right. It's, 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 it has, it, we have some room to grow, but, uh, <laughs> overall I do love Philadelphia. Um, all right. So when you're training someone to use drones, how do you simulate the conditions for learning that they're going to end up experiencing like inclement weather and all that sort of thing?
1: Totally. So one of the best things that we can do is work people through uh, scenario-based missions. So we actually do, we do teach students uh, at Florida State University, but we also do train first responders as well. So the way that we do that is usually through, um, we have some classroom time, not a ton, uh, but a little bit to go over stuff like safety and uh, all that kind of stuff. But from there, we actually moved into scenario-based exercises and we'll do things like tell people, uh, you know, the situation or create that kind of artificial stress to practice in an environment that's closer to real life. So, for example, what that might look like, um, we may tell somebody, hey, uh, we need to have a map of this area. This is the event that has occurred. And based on the type of event, uh, they'll kind of understand how the distance they need to keep from that uh, particular thing or um, what kind of use the drone might uh, might serve in that purpose. So what that means is for um, stuff like HAZMAT, if we if we simulate a HAZMAT incident, uh, that kind of works someone through that type of uh, situation while being able to practice uh, that kind of just-in-time uh, quick flying.
0: Right, and HAZMAT is just like any nasty spills or hazardous materials in general?
1: Absolutely. HAZMAT, uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, that is another use case for uh, UAS. There's actually really cool, um, someone, I want to say one of my colleagues actually utilized an unmade aircraft system in the Daiichi uh, nuclear plant explosion, and uh, they were actually able to, uh, the nice thing about using them in that type of environment, it's it's considered a dirty environment. Uh, UAS are good in dirty, dull, or dangerous conditions, and uh, they were able to prevent uh, sending an individual in or a person, and instead were able to send an aircraft in.
0: Cool, that's good, safer, that's great. Um, what, what is a drone exactly made out of? Like, is it metal, is it something lighter? Like, what is, are they made out of?
1: So it depends on the aircraft. Some are made out of carbon fiber, some are made out of metal. Uh, a large majority of them, I think, are made out of plastic. Um, it really just depends on the aircraft itself. But I've seen, I think most of them really uh, operate under a combination of metal and plastic.
0: Um, is there anything that you, like, wish we'd asked you about drones today? Like, things you're like, I can't believe we didn't get a chance to talk about this thing. Hmm. Oh, okay.
1: I do want to tell you guys something. I'm sorry. <laughs> as, far as, as far as stuff goes in the United States, I think the really interesting thing about drones, because I like policy, um, actually, in the United States, there are three different types of drone pilots. And so what that means is that there are people who can make money, so commercial pilots. Mm-hmm. There are people who uh, work for a public agency like me, so public pilots. And then there are also recreational pilots. So if you own an unmanned aircraft system, technically you are a recreational UIS uh, pilot.
0: Awesome, sounds good. So, we like to wrap these sessions up with uh, the same two questions for everybody. Um, The first is What is something that you wish everybody in the world knew about your area of expertise? And the second question is What is something that you wish everybody in the world knew about literally anything? It can be as silly and insignificant or like big picture significant as you'd like. Oh, cool.
1: Okay, so the first thing that I would want everybody to know about drones is that drones can be used for good. Um, that is one of my favorite things to tell people because there are so many positive use cases where we can help people with drones. Uh, so that's what I want everybody to know about UAS. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as what I want people to know about in general, um, <laughs> my hill to die on would definitely be uh, vaccinations. Um, Everyone should absolutely get vaccinated for everything. Um, that, is, that is my hill to die on. Yeah. Awesome.
0: On board. Be <laughs> vaccinated always look forward to my flu shot. It is actually kind of weird. I do look forward to my flu shot because I feel like I'm like ready to tackle the world after I get my flu shot. I don't know why. Uh, It's not true, but it's a little bit more true than it was before. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, Where, like, is there anything that you want to plug? Like, so I'd actually just love to plug my department.
1: Um, I love my job. I love the people I work with. I think we do really cool stuff. Um, As far as what that looks like, we actually have a Facebook We are the Emergency Management and Homeland Security Program at Florida State University, and we are always looking to teach people and talk about drones. So if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I learned, I knew almost nothing about drones going into this and now I know so much. So thank you so much. This was really, really awesome to get sure. in your, uh, into your job. Um, and Erin, thank you for signing and being with us today. Um, next week is cephalopod week. So get pumped because we love cephalopods at Skype Scientists. Scientist. So Monday, we're going to talk about raising cephalopods in captivity. Tuesday, we're talking about squid senses. Friday, we're talking about cuttlefish. Um, and all the the research that we do on them. Um, So thank you again, Laura and Erin, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Bye, guys. guys.
1: Bye.